0: Could Oklahoma drop one of their first four games and which one could it be? What did an anonymous coach have to say about Brent Venables entering his first season as a head coach? We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation, and welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. And joining me, as he does every day, is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, I think we can move on to football. I feel like it's safe to say that we're just a few weeks away from opening against UTEP. And so let's dig into what this team might look like. For the 2022
1: season let's and there's some thoughts out there from some at 24 7 sports that oklahoma will not get through that little buildup, as it were to the texas game unscathed in fact 24 7 sports kind of thinks oklahoma is not going to get through the through to the tcu game unscathed john
0: yeah it's interesting you look at how a season can be broken down and generally people break it down by games of four And you want to, you know, in the NFL, you want to win the four in each quarter. Well, in college football, you need to win a lot more than that. You can't really afford to drop many games. We look at 24-7 sports. They're breaking down teams based on what they think they'll do in the month of September. And for Oklahoma, they have them going three and one. Now, they open the season against UTEP on September 3rd. They have Kent State at home September 10th. I don't think either of us feel like those teams are much of a threat to Oklahoma especially at home. And so it really comes down to at Nebraska on September 17th or at home against Kansas state on September 24th. And so I'm going to pose this question to you, Josh, which is the game that concerns you the most for the Oklahoma Sooners? and which one, like, do you think is more likely or could be more likely that they'd lose? I think it's Nebraska
1: on September 17th. And I hate that I'm saying that because I think there's a chance Nebraska might stink again. And I think there's a chance Scott Frost might be fired before the year is even completely done in 2022. I also think that Kansas State very clearly has the best player of those two programs and single-handedly, Deuce Vaughn, okay, is it incredibly likely that single-handedly he beats Oklahoma? No, but I'm old enough to remember back when uh, Darren Sprouls, seemingly single-handedly beat Oklahoma in a big 12 championship game versus an Oklahoma team that if you'll recall really throughout a large portion of that season was getting defined or described as arguably the greatest college football team of all time. So that type of talent in Deuce Vaughn, yeah, could, could beat Oklahoma. But I just think for me, it's the first road game factor it is the factor that I do expect Nebraska to be improved, John. The big game atmosphere, all of that mixed with the, the spice of desperation, all of that to me adds up for the type of concoction and recipe to where, okay, you have my attention. Nebraska, that trip to Lincoln, I think is more dangerous than Kansas State.
0: Yeah, I think you make a, a very interesting point about Kansas State potentially being the more talented team, more well-rounded team. The better coach, I think, is pretty clear that Chris is a better coach than Scott Frost. I mean, Deuce Vaughn, Felix Anadike Uzoma, is, I mean, he's one of the best edge rushers in college football. But I think Nebraska is going to be pretty talented. I like the quarterback situation at Nebraska better than I do at Kansas State. Now, I know that might fly in the face of, of popular opinion a little bit, as most people are are pegging Kansas state for kind of this potential underdog uh, dark horse status in the big 12 because of Adrian Martinez. But I don't necessarily think that he's an upgrade from Skylar Thompson. I think that because of ball security issues that he might not be, but you look at Casey Thompson and that was a team that put up a ton of points with him at quarterback at Texas. I mean, the offense wasn't necessarily the issue save for one game against Iowa state where they got held to seven points. I mean, Casey Thompson's able to do some things. I mean, they they put up what forty eight points against Oklahoma in the Red River Showdown last year. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact number of what it was, maybe forty five. Uh, but I mean, they scored a ton of points, had Oklahoma on the ropes in the first half. So I think you know. And then they also get the addition of TCU transfer edge rusher um, Oshawn Mathis. I mean, another really quality player that's gonna. Be really, really good for them? They've, they've got a solid, you know, few defenders on that team. So I think that, I think Nebraska makes a lot of sense in that it's going to be the first true test of the Brent Venables era. It's going to be the first true test in the power five for Dylan Gabriel in, you know, a couple of years. Like, I mean, he had a shortened season last year going into a hostile road environment against a team that has a ton to prove after a, you know, three and nine season last year, three and eight season last year. Nebraska is going to be hungry and they're going to be looking to kind of avenge that really close loss where Oklahoma didn't play well. Nebraska didn't play their best game either, but they nearly pulled off an upset. And so I think that is definitely the most dangerous team. If you can get through Nebraska in your Oklahoma, you get through Nebraska and you get back, back home to face Kansas State. To me, I have very, I have less concern about the Wildcats coming to Norman as I do about Oklahoma going to uh, Lincoln to to play Nebraska.
1: So I think we're kind of of similar minds there. Marcus Washington, that's uh, somebody that Casey Thompson is going to be throwing through. Obviously they've got Omar Manning back, Isaiah Garcia, Castaneda. That's a Marcus Washington, by the way, another transfer from Texas. The, uh, Garcia Castaneda, kid that he's from New Mexico State. So there's some unknowns with Nebraska, but I'm with you. I I like the addition of Casey Thompson. Let's see how it all comes together with the new offensive coordinator, by the way, as well in uh, Mr. Whipple. So there's a lot of changes in Lincoln. And really, more than anything, John, for me, it's just the road trip factor and the desperation factor. The history between the two programs, I think, uh, sets up for – perhaps that perfect uh, storm of an upset, but I don't know. I, I, you know, even listening to us talk here, this segment, it's like, yeah, but you know, Kansas state's better. And you know, that Kansas state, Oh, by the way has played really well at Norman of late John Kansas state has typically now I know last season was uh, a difficult win for Oklahoma up in Manhattan, but generally speaking, John, say for, you know, the last couple of trips up in Manhattan, over the past decade plus really Kansas state has played its best football against Oklahoma in Norman. Strangely enough.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think Kansas state is going to be a team that is going to be a threat potentially. But again, I come back to the quarterback situation. Can Chris Kleiman help Adrian Martinez hang on to the football in 38 career games. Adrian Martinez has fumbled the ball 42 times according to pro football focus. I mean, it's an outrageous number. Now, he hasn't lost that many fumbles, but he's put the ball on the ground 42 times. That is ridiculous. Like, you can't do that on purpose in in football. I mean, you have to be really, really loose. Like, we thought Jalen Hurts had ball security issues back in 2019. Like, his uh, inability to hold on to the football is far surpasses that. And also, in those 38 career games, Adrian Martinez has thrown 30 interceptions. I mean – He's a talented player. He's got a lot of intangibles. One of the things that's a detriment to his game that could hurt Kansas State this year, which is why I'm not completely sold on them until I can see that he's proven that he can take care of the football, is just his inability to do that. That's going to be huge for Kansas State. Now, Chris Klein is a great coach. Perhaps he's able to to kind of get something through to Adrian Martinez, help him with some, you know, the way he holds the ball when he runs. I don't know. But that's going to be a huge factor. I mean, one thing you can say about Casey Thompson is he doesn't give the ball away. I mean, he may not be the most aggressive quarterback. He might not be the, the best runner, but he's not going to give the ball away in, very often. And I think you can't hurt your team if you're an underdog, especially in any kind of football game. And, he, and, and we saw that. I mean, Spencer Rattler got benched for, and, and Oklahoma was the favorite, but Spencer Rattler got benched for you know, giving the ball away you know, too often. And so that's, that's the one hesitation I have about Kansas State. Until Adrian Martinez can prove to me that he can hold on to the football, I'm not buying anything that Kansas State's selling.
1: 72. I know, as you mentioned, that
0: is, you know, fumbles and
1: not fumbles lost, which there is a distinction, but we'll call it what the, the NFL has that stat that they like now, or I see some people talking about it out there, turnover-worthy plays. Well, that's 72 turnover-worthy plays uh, I can certainly define that for Adrian Martinez over his career. I hear what you're saying on that. That part is alarming, and it's very un-Kansas State-like. That's not really the identity of how they've won. They've won over the course of time and over the course of years by being great in the third phase of football, right? Being uh, you know kind of like Dayton all the way back to the late 90s, early 2000s, It was Kansas State and Virginia Tech, baby. That was special teams, you, those two schools. So their ability there in special teams and then obviously taking care of the football and forcing takeaways, winning that turnover margin. So that part doesn't really feel like a natural marriage between Adrian Martinez and Kansas State. I'm I'm with you on that. But I'm, as you know, intrigued about the possibilities of just – Adrian Martinez and kind of a read option game with Deuce Vaughn and just Adrian Martinez getting a little bit taken off of his plate with that type of star next to him
0: and just for comparison's sake let's look at what Skylar Thompson did in his five seasons at Kansas State just on the interception front I mean Skylar Thompson has only thrown 16 interceptions or only through 16 interceptions in 45 career games for Kansas State like that's a vast difference again that's really, Adrian, really good yeah Adrian Martinez 30 interceptions in 38 games, Skyler Thompson, just 16 interceptions in 45 games. So it's a big difference. And that's something that they're going to have to figure out how to manage and how to control. And I mean, they've got a great player in Deuce Vaughn that's going to be able to take off some of the, the pressure and take some of the load away. Again, it's what's it gonna, what's gonna happen if, if Kansas State gets behind in games? Well, you're gonna have to rely on Adrian Martinez to throw the football, which is gonna put him in some precarious positions. So Again, I think we both kind of agree that Nebraska is going to be the trickier game, the trickier matchup. And because of the road environment, because of an upgraded quarterback situation, we feel like from Adrian Martinez last year to Casey Thompson. And again, you added O'Shawn Mathis at edge rusher. I mean, that provides two really quality edge rushers that they they bring to the table for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Coming up next, we're going to talk about what an – Anonymous coach had to say about Brent Venables heading into the 2022 season. But first I want to talk about bet online. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs, find all your favorite sports events and at the number one online source for odds lines and games. Oklahoma right now is a plus 5,000 to win the national championship. So if you like long odds with potentially high rewards, I mean, that's one to get in on right there. Now Oklahoma would have to go on a serious run and answer a lot of questions to make sure that that would happen. But, over at Bet Online, you can get in at plus 5,000. Right now, Oklahoma is just a small favorite to win the Big 12 over Texas. Oklahoma is at plus 200, and Texas at plus 225. So the, the odds continue to change for Oklahoma and Texas uh, as far as odds to win the, the Big 12 championship. But you can take care of that over at BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is where the game starts. All right, Josh, it's anonymous coach speak season. Athlon does a great job with this every single year where they are able to find coaches within the conference to go through and talk about you know other teams in the conference. And here's what they had to say about Brent Venables. The definition of OU ball. Now, that just sounds like a football coach, right? OU ball. We don't even say football. We don't got time for that. OU ball. OU ball is that no matter what they're doing schematically, they're mean. I'm going to say it like a Texas coach. They're harder than the other team. That's what Brent Venables loves to do. His identity fits perfectly. They just need to play ball and ignore the noise about their old coach. Thoughts, Josh.
1: Well, first off, I hope that you are equally as dorky as I am when it comes to anonymous coaches sharing really nothing particularly illuminating most of the time, but it's like, yeah. Oh, it's an anonymous coach. So yeah. wow. Look what they said about Oklahoma and look what they hey. said about Texas and TCU at Kansas state. Oh my. Uh, Taken from that what we can, I agree, right? I mean, that's what we've spent so much of this offseason talking about is c- can Venables imprint that toughness, that, that physicality, that ferociousness, that uh, violence, you know, controlled violence on this Oklahoma program in a positive way. And at least one anonymous coach, right? Whoever that may be. It sounds like they're from Texas if you listen to that uh, right there. But uh, at least one anonymous coach. That's kind of what they're expecting from Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, and I think if we didn't see that, I think it would be a disappointment, and I think the coaches would be disappointed. Like Miguel Chavis back at OU Media Day, he talked about trying to instill violence and toughness into this team, and he says, like, sometimes there's drills where they're not being violent enough in the drill, and they have to, you know, as a coach, they have to figure out, okay, what do we have to do to increase that level of, quote-unquote, violence on the football field? So, I mean, that's going to be huge for this team to – be a Brent Venable's team. You're going to have to be aggressive. You're going to have to be assertive. You're going to have to be.
1: I love my players, past and present. They'll tell you that. I'm going to coach them really, really hard. But I'm going to love them more. I'm going to love them more. We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense.
0: Yeah relentless suffocating like these are extreme words from a guy who is an intense football coach and anything less than that from the Oklahoma Sooners is going to be disappointing, but I don't think we're going to see anything less than this. I I think we saw a glimpse of this during the spring game in that the way that the defense rallied to the football. I mean, these were guys that were, there were multiple guys getting to the ball carrier on almost every single snap. And I think that's the sign like that you're looking for is, Team defense that is relentless, meaning you're always chasing after the ball carrier, even if you're away from the play. Everybody's getting to the ball carrier. That means you're going to have less missed tackles, fewer missed tackles than you did in previous years, and you're going to have more splash plays. You're going to have more tackles for loss, more sacks, when everybody's going to be relentless like that.
1: I think one thing that Oklahoma fans have really been pining for for a long time, and this will be evident based on really – kind of what we talked about to start how the nebraska trip and how the kansas state games play out one thing that fans have really been pining for is for oklahoma to to just appear ready to roll early in the season right to tackle well early in the season so when we get down to what an anonymous coach is talking about right there john and some of the traits that you're mentioning the word that jumps out is mean mean right like i want to see OU look mean and i don't want it to be once this next season right i don't want it to just be a couple of times late in the season no show me that that is now that's an identity trade of oklahoma when you play the sooners man you're gonna you're gonna get a little dirt in the face mask you're gonna get bloodied up a little bit it's gonna be a punishing difficult day you might beat oklahoma but dang it you're gonna have to have earned it and you know what you're gonna be loving that ice bath afterwards
0: yeah, in the last two seasons, so in 2021, it took till week seven for Oklahoma to win a game by more than a score. In 2020, it took till week five for Oklahoma to win by more than a score against a team that was a power five team. I'm not counting Missouri State. I'm not counting Western Carolina. Like, you should roll those teams. Everybody should roll those teams. But, I mean, and it was, and both games were against teams like TCU. Actually, both games were against TCU. And so, yeah, I I'm I, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Like, I want them to come out Against a team that is supposed to potentially challenge them, like a Nebraska and a Kansas State, and absolutely throttle them. Like, that's when I'll feel like really comfortable about what this team is gonna be in 2022 is when they just absolutely demoralize. Like, Coach Yost in Remember the Titans saying, Harmon, run it up, leave no doubt. Like, they need a statement right out of the gate. And if they can go on the road to Lincoln and make that statement, in their first real test of the season. I mean, that would be absolutely tremendous and it would set the stage for what would possibly be a magical run in 2022. I mean, again, it's going to be a challenge, but if this team brings the intensity, like we think they're going to, there's no reason why they can't have that kind of a game. I mean, it's going to be a very different group on both sides of the football than what we're used to seeing over the last few years. That's not to say there weren't guys that were intense on the Alex Grinch defense or the Lincoln Riley offense, there were, I mean, Perron Winfrey is one of those guys, like just an intense dude. Uh, Creed Humphrey, like he plays with that kind of intensity, but as units, I don't think that there was that. Like, I don't think anybody feared that Brent Venables needs teams to fear Oklahoma again, because that's what kind of translates week to week. That's how you can go in and, and, Kind of win games honestly before you even step on the field. A lot of times is having that intimidating approach
1: where Oklahoma has that type of performance too, I think matters. So just and this takes us way back in the time machine here, but don't you want to feel in look, Nebraska will not be this example because it's not going to be a top five showdown and Nebraska's not been worth a lick for a long, long time. But you know, I think back to the 2011 season when you went and won that game at Florida State early and there was all that expectation on Oklahoma. And, okay, that season ultimately didn't didn't net what Oklahoma fans had expected it the net. But coming out of that game down at Doak, OU fans felt like, oh, man. Okay, so this is the Oklahoma team I've been wanting to see. I want to feel that way after – beaten down on Nebraska, right? And really it gets back to, you know, what you talked about with that type of performance versus a power five team. John, to me, it's the location of being in Lincoln with the desperation that Nebraska would have doing that in that game, because guess what? That's what the other powers in college football do. That's what Alabama does for the most part to a lot of its SEC brethren. That's what Georgia did last season to everybody not named Alabama in route to a national championship. That's what Ohio State typically has done to Big Ten teams, right? I mean, be, be that school. Or Clemson over the last, you know, half decade, however long it's been, probably a little bit more than that. But be that team that kind of embarrasses both Nebraska and Kansas State. Be that team.
0: I think they certainly are going to have the attitude to potentially be that team. If the talent comes together like we think it is going to, I think they'll have that chip that's going to want to not just win games, but win games handily and win games in a fashion that is somewhat demoralizing to their opponent, you know, because especially in the big 12, like I can think back to when um, I was playing lacrosse in college and myself and one of my defenders. So I played goalie and I, you know our, our team allowed like five goals per game. I had two shutouts that year and, one of our long stick defensemen, we were kind of snubbed. Like both of us thought like we both could have been in consideration for defensive player of the year. Neither of us got it. And the team that we faced in the championship in that season, their defender got big 12 or not big 12, but Lone Star Alliance defensive player of the year.
1: No go with big 12. If, if it wasn't,
0: a- it wasn't big 12. It wasn't big 12. Cause we were playing nickel state in the championship. And
1: that's basically a big 12 school.
0: Yeah. And in that game we jumped out to a 12-2 halftime lead and won 22 to 12 like we just kind of coasted to the finish line in the second half but our offensive player of the year the guy that was on our team that was the offensive player of the year for the league he took their defense the guy that was the defensive player of the year like took him to the woodshed like he scored 10 goals on the guy and just absolutely demoralized him like our defense completely shut them down and i think that's what's going to happen this year is the Oklahoma seniors got left off the first team, all big 12 ballot, except for Michael Turk and Dylan Gabriel newcomer of the year. I think they're going to like, they're not after the individual awards, but they definitely want some team recognition and some respect. And they're going to go out. there, going to take it. Like they're not asking you to give it to them. They're just going to go out there and they're going to take that respect back.
1: You know, and I think it's okay to want individual awards within the constructs of it you know, being a part of larger team goals too. Like it's okay to want to be the big 12 defensive player of the year. It's okay to want to be, you know, a first team, uh, big 12 defensive tackle or defensive lineman or defensive end. Like that's okay. Everybody should want that. You, what do you want to be a second team or a third teamer? Of course these guys want that type of recognition, but as long as it stays within that overarching construct of, okay, It's about what OU does collectively, though.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's where the chip is going to be. Like, okay, you don't see us as the the favorite in the conference. Okay, you don't see anybody on our team as worthy of a first-team all-Big 12 selection except for our punter. No disrespect to Michael Turk, Like, he is very much worthy and deserving of that. But nobody on the offense, nobody on the defense is deserving of this. Okay, all right, noted. Say less. And we're going to go out there and prove it. Uh, now, now there's so much talk right now happening about networks and TV rights and media rights deals. You know, Oklahoma and Texas are still in the Big 12 through the 2024 season technically, uh, as their media rights deal doesn't expire until the 20 until 2025. But with what's happening with the Big Ten and potentially the ACC, and you know, with Big 12 consistently looking at realignment, there's an article out there, Josh, that. Potentially the Big 12 and you know maybe some other conferences way forward is looking for an earlier time slot than even the 11 a.m. game. What are we are we going to have biscuits and gravy and some bacon while we watch uh, Bill Beatonbow's offensive line go to work on Saturday mornings? I believe
1: it's Baylor and gravy, by the way. Baylor okay. and gravy, and yeah, I, look, there's going to be some folks that adamantly. Despise the sound of this or think it's ridiculous or absurd. I love it. I-, I want it every single week. I actually have been campaigning for quite some time. That to me, even just from a TV network standpoint, so while we've got these two hour game day shows going on, and you know, you got college game day, and you've had the uh big noon kickoff, the countdown to kick off over there, I mean, wouldn't it just make sense that at 10 a.m. Central time at the latest, you've got at least one of those East Coast kickoffs taking place in the ACC. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer. I mean, why not? It's 11 a.m. their time. We kick off here Central time at 11 11 a.m. So what is the difference? Because it's, you know, uh, obviously because it would be a little bit earlier in these other time zones. I just think if you can create another TV inventory, why not? And if you're the Big 12 or you're the ACC And really, you know, Pac-12, probably this doesn't apply here because, look, you'd be having to play at the crack of dawn if you're the Pac-12 under that scenario. But if you're the Big 12 and this is a way to potentially garner up some interest from an ESPN or whichever TV network uh, in your next TV deal, then – yeah, you probably have to kind of bite the bullet a little bit and say, "Yeah, we're we're cool with one one morning, one crazy morning game." It's great for us as fans too. As soon as you wake up, you have football on. You don't even have to wait around three hours.
0: Well, I think with the future Big Twelve, where you're going to have what three now Eastern Time Zone teams in Cincinnati, West Virginia, and UCF, that creates potential where you could rotate those games, and you have you always have one Big Twelve game in that you know, 11 a.m. East coast, 10 a.m. Central time slot. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy, but Hey, in this world of, you know, college athletics and where we're at now, like crazy is going to, what is going to be what kind of makes you survive down the road. You got to think outside the box. That's why, you know, people think the PAC 12 is going to thrive down the road because they're going to be able to put games on at nine 30, you know, Eastern time or, you know, eight 30 central time when everybody else is kind of going to bed. But, it's getting wild out there on the college football front, but Hey, I would not mind a little ball and brunch on a Saturday morning, getting ready for uh, the traditional 11 AM kickoff with, you know, an hour, hour and a half of, of the East coast pregame meal that we'll get. Um, I don't know. There's something, there's something to be said for that. I think there's definitely something that Brett Yormark probably will consider because I feel like of any conference commissioner right now he's probably going to be the most likely to think outside the box and consider something like this
1: touchdowns and bacon i mean it's a match made in heaven baby you're right though yeah your mark because of his unique history to get to this point not that he had not been in sports i mean obviously he has been with the nets and everything but he doesn't have the same type of college background that a lot of guys would typically have uh, as a big 12 commissioner so Is he a little more prone, a little more apt to thinking outside the box? I think first things first, John, he's willing to maybe make some concessions like this to just position the big 12 best. Like if either ESPN or CBS or NBC or Amazon or whoever said, yeah, we've got a deal for the big 12, but you have to kick one game off at, you know, 10 AM central time. I mean, do you do it or nine a.m. Like let's get as crazy as possible. Nine a.m. Central Time. If you're Brett, your mark, and they've got a nice little TV deal for you, probably going to get all these presidents together and say, and all these other athletic directors to get together and say, guys, I mean, do you want to get paid or not?
0: Coaches will hate it, but they won't hate it so much when they have a little bit more in their in their coffers to spend on facilities and, you know weight room equipment and, you know, getting the field expanded, getting the stadium expanded, whatever's going to make mo- more money and get more people in the stands, get more recruits in the stands, get more recruits to signing day. They're going to be all for, all for it. I'm all for it. I'm all for, you know, 10 AM to 1:30 AM on Sunday football all day. That'd be a blast. And who knows? I think we're probably on our way to that at some point. And we might even start getting Friday night games as, as crazy as that might sound because of just the desire for these networks to have college football on almost seemingly all the time, whether it's college, NFL, like they're just, they just want football on their network because they, the advertisers want to be able to advertise during football games. And so it wouldn't be the craziest thing.
1: BYU to start the day, UCF to finish the day because nothing makes sense.
0: That's right. That's right. And then at some point, BYU making that cross-country road trip to play the 10 a.m. game against Cincinnati. Correct. Come on. That's going to be a blast. They'll be – what would that be 8 o'clock their time because they're mountain time? So playing the 8 a.m. game, that would be too much probably. But it's wild. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to the show. Thanks for subscribing to the show wherever You get your podcast and over on YouTube. We're just about 130 subscribers from making it to 2,500 by the start of the 2022 season. So help us get there by hitting the subscribe button. Also want to thank you so much. July was our biggest month ever in the history of the show. I've been hosting the show for nearly two years. Josh has been on the show for a few months now. And July was by far our biggest month ever. So thank you so much for tuning into the show. I meant to do this off the top of the show. I'll have to do it at the top of next show because I think it's important. We're here because of you thank you so much for inter- interacting with us, engaging with us and making sure your friends and family know about locked on Sooners. Uh, absolutely grateful. That's why I'm sitting in front of my forever grateful sign. Um, we're grateful for you all. And we're grateful to be able to do this and, and talk Oklahoma Sooners athletics uh, with you on a daily basis here on the locked on podcast network. But until next time he's Josh, I'm John catch you then boomer sooner.